This is Tom Stern. I'm the author of the novels My Vanishing Twin and Sutterfeld, You Are Not a Hero, both out from Rare Bird Books. And I'm excited to be talking today with Doug Cooper, the author of The Investment Club from Rare Bird Books and Outside In. And so just to kind of get us rolling here, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I was really compelled by in, uh, in The Investment Club is how the book kind of operates as a pastiche of a, just a variety of different kind of perspectives, points of view on life. Can you maybe talk a little bit, Doug, about how, the process of kind of identifying those characters that kind of make up this, the, the kind of architecture of what, what the investment club really winds up kind of being about, kind of what, that's at their heart? Sure. Well, thanks. You know, thanks for the introduction and looking forward to speaking also about uh, my vanishing twin. Um, but with the investment club, you know, the whole idea was born, you know, in a, in a trip to Vegas and, you know, everybody knows Vegas and pretty much has been there, you know, and 40 million people go there every year. But I just had this overwhelming urge to tell the story about people who live there you know, who come there for a variety of reasons, you know, what brings them there, what makes them stay there, you know, what happens to them while they're there. So it all really started from that. And then as I started putting together kind of the profiles of, of who I thought would be interesting to meet at this blackjack table, which is, is how they all come together. And I just wanted it to be a real cross section of people and I lived in Vegas for while I was writing the book and before I started writing, um, you know, I just did research and, and lived there for a year and, and played blackjack in pretty much all the casinos um, in Vegas. And just as I was doing that and kind of seeing the people and talking to a lot of people, um, these these five characters uh, just took shape of of who who I thought would be an interesting mix. And and you've lived all over, yeah. So you've lived in Vegas. Are you, where are you now? I'm originally from Ohio, um, just outside of Cleveland. So I had moved for about the last 20 years. You know, I went from Cleveland to St. Louis to Detroit to New York. I spent five years in Oslo, Norway, then to Vegas. And then I've decided to move back to Cleveland. So I've kind of gone full circle in this, in this journey. And, um, you know, it's good to be back and kind of reconnect with a lot of people um, in this area. And for you, I know you're in Los Angeles. Are you a native Californian? I'm not. I'm actually from St. Louis originally um, and lived there for like, eight, you know, 18 years, all through my childhood and, and went off to college went to a small liberal arts school in St. Petersburg, Florida called Eckerd College um, and studied philosophy there, which to me was kind of what studying creative writing should be. Uh, you read a bunch of books, think a lot of big thoughts and, and learn how to become critical in your, your thinking and, and creative. And then moved out to Los Angeles. Um, I did my MFA in film production and uh, was uh, at Chapman University and uh, Made some some films, uh, some independent feature films that played some festivals, got small distribution deals, um, and and also have been you know pursuing writing and, and novels and whatnot. But I, I met my wife uh, at film school, and she's a native Southern Californian, and they never want to leave. So 
So here I am. Well, I yeah. like the, you know, the introduction, you know, the dedication in the book, you know, just to C and R. And I know from, you know, just doing a little reading on you, you know, the C is, is your wife and the R is, is your, is your daughter, right? Ramo- yeah. Ramona. Ramona. That, yeah. That right. So, yeah. yeah. I thought that was a nice, uh, very, very simple, but very, very heartfelt. Um, so I also have to ask, you know, since you're from St. Louis and for people who are listening that don't know, if you are in St. Louis and you meet somebody, one of the first questions that you ask is, where did you go to high school? Absolutely. That's just a very, that's just a very St. Louis question. <laughs> and when I, when I lived there, you know, I was actually teaching there. I taught in the Hazelwood school district, okay. um, at Hazelwood West, but sure. um, you know, being an outsider, when you, when you move them, where'd you go to high school? Well, I didn't. So it ought to kind of automatically yeah. moved you outside of that whole uh, kind of analysis evaluation. So uh, where, where did you go to high school in St. Louis? I went to Ledoux Horton Watkins high school. Go Rams. Ah, yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah, yeah. I had a great time. I, I enjoyed St. Louis, uh, you know, for the five years that, that I was there. Um, yeah, so I, I, I want to go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say it's a great city. I, I, I love so much about it. I was actually just there visiting um, and I hadn't been there in a while. And uh, and yeah, there's definitely it's funny. I, I you know, I've now probably lived in Los Angeles longer than I've lived in St. Louis. Um, but I still at my core, well, I think I'll always identify as being a Midwesterner. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. One of the things I've found in kind of moving back and and as I said, reconnecting with just people and places and really feeling, feeling that after, after being away. Um, so one, so one question, you know, that I, I wanted to ask, cause you know, from the first, when I first saw your book, I think it came across in one of the rare bird, um, uh, kind of mailings. And I said, Oh, what is that? And then I looked and, you know, it was just blown away from the, from the concept. And then I think the, t- uh, the cover, you know, was just brilliant, you know, with kind of the faceless man with the smoke for people mm-hmm. that are, are listening that may have not seen it, you know, pull, pull it up on, pull it up online because it just pulls, pulls you in right away. So what inspired that, that cover? To, to be honest with you, I can't take much credit for it. I, um, you know, this is the the second book I did with Rare Bird, and I really just kind of, you know, they did such a beautiful job on my first book, which is called Sutterfeld, You're Not a Hero. And um, we kind of did a, you know, a collaborative process with that, where there were certain artists that I thought the Clayton Brothers were, would make a good fit for some of their work for that cover for the first book. And so we kind of collaborated and then I stood, stepped back and they did, you know, really amazing work with it. And so I really just, with this one, um, I just, I sat back. I, I, they, they really seem to get my work and get what it is and, and they do a better job than I can of visualizing that. And so I think I saw that cover really late in the game. And it took me a, 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 a little while to sit with it and really kind of think it through um, just because as I'm sure you find too, I think you get so close to your work that when some, when there's a visual representation of, of its identity, it just takes a while to kind of think it through. And the more I sat there looking at it, the more I thought, yeah, that, there's something in the layering of it and the kind of, um, it's it simultaneously 
um, small and large scale in a strange way. It's kind of, I think, playing on um, on the uh, sun, the painting, the Son of Man, uh, which kind of plays into the the ideas of the book as well in an interesting way, and the narrative of the book in an interesting way. And so, I really, I, I can't take much credit for it, other than. I'm hoping that maybe the the book itself kind of articulates itself in a way that 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 kind of translates to them. But all credit to Rare Bird on that. Yeah, and I thought you know just the fact that it was you know obviously with the with the title and um, you know just the use of the word twin and automatically creates this idea you know in the mind. But having a, a solitary figure, and then as I read the book, you know there's there's so much of you know just solitary and you know introversion which i thought was a really interesting you know just just play how how you how you did that so before we get into that i want you to just kind of go over the the concepts on on and how you came across the fetal resorption as you know a premise for for the story yes yeah um so I don't, I don't know about you and in, in your process. I so I write every day, and um, and when I write every day, sometimes that's really kind of you know targeted and and prescriptive, and other times it's really loose, and I'm just kind of exploring and and figuring out, you know, sometimes writing total garbage, sometimes writing things that kind of coalesce into other things, and so as I was just kind of you know working through, and 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 pages were starting to coalesce. I was really kind of exploring the character of Walter who's the main protagonist of the novel and his, um, girlfriend at the beginning of the novel, long-term girlfriend, um, Veronica. And as I was kind of unpacking their relationship, it started to become really apparent to me that Walter was somebody who had really kind of compromised his way through life to a point of stasis and that he wasn't necessarily all that kind of aware of, of what he was doing but that his sort of method of getting through life had really kind of brought him to a point of, of just stasis, I guess is the best word for it. And this idea started to come out of nowhere to some extent, which is that I, I was starting to try to think through, okay, well, what would it take to get this guy to plug into his life again, to start thinking about things again and really investigating who he is and what he's doing? And this idea cropped up that he was pregnant with his own twin brother and that his twin brother would be born obsessed with acquiring his MBA. And then I spent about a month or two trying to persuade myself that only an absolutely crazy person would actually write that premise in a book. Um, And so as I was working through the pages, though, and revising and and kind of continuing to explore, it became really apparent to me that that's what this book was about. It was about a guy who was pregnant with his own twin brother. And when the twin brother is born, he is, you know, savant level brilliant and gifted at really almost everything he touches um, in a way that is completely contrary to where Walter has wound up in his life. And that that facility, that agency, that ability to connect with others and make his life what he wants it to be is going to send Walter into a, a, you know, a, a downward spiral that forces him to kind of pull apart his life, strip it down to its essence, and try to find something that he wants to care about and invest in and, and, and um, pursue. And for him, that happens to be the last thing he can remember ever really 
um, being passionate about, which was, you know, kind of a naive adolescent dream of becoming a rock star. And so he sets out after pursuing that. And, uh, and, and that's just kind of what the book became. Um, and for me, that's the real interesting part about writing. I, I find that in order for me to really maintain the type of focus that's required of writing a novel, which, you know, takes years, it, it takes a, an, an inordinate amount of time, um, there has to be a, a mystery or an undefined something to it. I, I have to be con- perplexed by it, and I have to be pursuing those answers and asking those questions. And, and that's just really kind of the shape that this took. Um, and uh, and I think that there's something in the tension of the, the kind of comedy of that that also really started to become engaging for me. Um, you know, this this guy being confronted with this kind of is twin brother is born and he winds up being this kind of malformed, misshapen, odd little person, but who's also brilliant. And so there was something in that juxtaposition that was kind of you know, entertaining and, and amusing. Yeah, I really like there was a lot of, you know, at least I took them as, you know, some really good commentary on on uh, some so- social commentary that that I thought, for example, you know, when. Uh, Walter is talking to his employer and on numerous occasions, people, you know, reference, you know, that he got liposuction, you know, and, and, you know, that, that this was immediately what they thought when he's taking off work and he lost, oh, well, you got, you got liposuction. And, you know, and some of the debate on whether to keep, um, you know, when he's talking about what he's going to do, you know, with the twin and, you know, I was just wondering, you know, is there any, I mean, were you thinking about the whole, any of the abortion, you know, type stuff when, when that whole kind of dialogue is going on? Because I just felt that as a lot of the subtext there. Yeah, I don't, it's a good question. I don't know that I was really thinking about it from a, like, like as an issue, as much as I was, there's an element in there, I think, when Walter's going back and forth with his doctor about, you know, they have to do this exploratory surgery to try to remove the twin. And, um, and the doctor is only willing to remove the twin if the twin will survive the surgery. Um, and Walter's like, well, what if I won't survive the surgery? And the doctor's like, well, that's not my concern. That's not my focus. (laughs) I'm only going to do this if the twin survives. And, you know, he's like, well, why is the one life better than that? And so there was something in the, the kind of, twisting logic of that that I think was interesting but I don't I don't know that I was really thinking overtly about you know abortion as a yeah. as a larger topic I do think that the medical plays into this in a way that's very absurdist where um and I don't you know with my experience with doctors often is it's sort of like their you know the, the, their ability to kind of empathize is sometimes not quite on par, or maybe it's just the product of having to empathize with so many people all the time over whatever they're dealing with um, in terms of medical maladies. But, um, you know, I think the the uh, the main doctor is definitely sort of a composite of kind of the worst bedside mammer, manners that I've ever experienced with a variety of different doctors. Um, but you, you definitely, though... That the kind of interplay, uh, the, the complications of relationships and the interplay of those relationships, which I think is at the center of twin, trying to figure out how we relate to one another and what what we owe each other and what we don't and what is our obligation to family and whatnot, 
that kind of shuffling of relationships or, or striking balances and discovery of relationships and the kind of gradual opening up of people is definitely at the heart of the investment club, um, at least as I was looking at it. And those relationships really kind of unfold in interesting ways. And you kind of also structurally built the book out so that we would be kind of introduced to characters and we think we have a sense for who they are. And then new information will come in that adds a depth or a dimension to what our understanding of that person is. And the characters experience that, but we as a reader, I think, experience that as well. Was that pretty deliberate in terms of how you were you're trying to kind of structure that and set that up? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, just the whole concept of, you know, investing is, you know, as you, as you said, you know, about when you start building the story and building the ideas and it's something that really has to arrest you and and you know because you're going to spend a lot of time with these people in this world that you create and often you know people will say oh i got a great idea for you you know you should write this book and i always <laughs> say to them you know no you should write that because right. you know i said i it, it's not something that you know to do it right you can't just turn it turn it on and off. It has to be something that, you know, you, you, you really do become obsessed with. So, you know, for me, it was, I just really got obsessed with this idea of investing. And then when you start thinking about the financial side of investing and debt and so forth, but then flipping that onto the personal side and, you know, that in the long run, that's what, that's what really you know, is the investment that pays off is what we contribute to one another. So I kind of build it all around this after these people meet. And also when you meet people, you know, we're basing it on just this initial, initial interaction. And there's often so many other reasons what got that person to be like they are at, in that moment, you know, both good and bad experiences. So when I was thinking about the structure, you know, and I said, well, I want to move the timeline around so that I open in one timeline, but then can, can go back and show something from a person earlier in life that might contribute to how, to how they are and how I decided to orient it was every chapter would be a different day. And I would start the chapter with the, the day and the date and end the chapter, uh, and in, in that start point, also include the Dow Jones open, and at the end of the chapter, the Dow Jones close. And again, that was just to kind of orient the reader on, okay, what what day and, and time, and, and so if I'm, I'm moving back and forth, that, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, why did you use the, the, Dow, the Dow Jones like that? Was there a significance? And, you know, ov overall, as I was kind of again doing research in, in the 25 years that the book takes place, just how much the Dow Jones has had risen. And I also thought it was kind of a good way to kind of sh show that rising and falling action. So, you know, some days that Dow Jones goes up and some days it goes down and, and that idea that we have good days and bad days, but, you know, overall over the term of our life, we want that trend to go, to go upward, you know? So it was very much like you said about these relationships and how these people come together to realize that what's most important is what they're they're investing in in one another. And there's a real sort of like 
I, I guess I would say like kind of a considered quality, I, I think, to the book where there, there's a real kind of marriage between theme and character and narrative and structure in those ways. Are you, which was making me wonder as I was reading it, sort of what your process looks like. Are you, you know, did, are you outlining that first? Are you write, just sort of writing pages and then that structure kind of follows from there? Was it character that was your entry point? Or it almost seemed like theme was, like that there were certain topics or themes that you knew that you were thinking about and contemplating and that the rest of it started to kind of grow out of that. But I, I was just curious kind of how you approach how you approached it with the investment club. So the, the, the process for, for both of my books for outside in and the investment club was, was different. And then for the third one that I, I just finished uh, focus lost that, that, that was different um, as well. Um, basically determined kind of by the story for investment club. I very much started with the concept. I mean, I had, I had the idea and then I kind of build it out from the characters, but I created each of these characters arcs separately and kind of told their, you know, I actually had used a spreadsheet. I'm a former math teacher, so can be pretty, pretty structured. <laughs> so, so what I did is I just took a spreadsheet, you know, and five rows and then built their stories across and then kind of looked at it and said, okay, what, what are the intersection points? Yeah. You know, what happened, you know, what happened before and started shifting and saying, okay, this is the time where they met and you know, what happened, where do they cross and how, how do they, how do they intertwine? So, um, you know, very, very much a structured approach on the, on that. And, you know, which helped because, you know, weaving five narratives together can be, and, and moving the timeline can, can be, can be tricky. Um, so, so that really worked, that worked well for, for, for this particular, for this particular story. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask you, which I really started to notice, uh, you know, is especially as a filmmaker, Right. Internal monologue, you know, is virtually impossible to do with film. Yeah. Right. Um, you have to find other ways. And but yet in the book, you found really interesting ways to express the internal internal monologue or almost even reveal information that could have been done in dialogue. But you chose to to do it as internal monologue you know for example some of the the medical information you know i thought oh it could have easily done as a discussion between the doctor and and that but you know you did why no one section you you had done it with a brochure where the characters looking through that and you know so it makes it more of a personal experience um so talk a little bit about that and, and, and why did you choose them? I mean, there's, there's such good internal monologue or some rhetorical questions that he's asking himself and so forth, you know, uh, talk a little bit about that and why, why you did that. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm really fascinated by, um, by sort of how we disseminate a story or, or how we observe a story. Um, and, and yeah, I think there's part of me that thinks about it like a filmmaker, part of the, you know, I, I, I often say that like um, sometimes musicians or, or singer songwriters are, are kind of my favorite novelists, meaning the ways that they tell story, there's a, a primacy to how 
it comes through and conveys its emotion and its feeling, but also its kind of cadence and its structure. And, and so I'm always trying to think about um, how we experience the story and how we experience the characters. And I like to try to create a space for the reader to, to get to feel like they are experiencing it and thinking through these revelations themselves. So, I, you know, it's the show don't tell adage. Um, and so I think that tries, you know, that creates an interesting tension for me where I'm always trying to think about how the revealing of the information also informs what our perceptions are of these people in ways that get us to feel empathy for them or feel disdain for them or, or whatever, anything in between. Um, and so I'm, I'm regularly trying to think through those pieces. I don't know that I, um, I don't know how deliberate I am in the moment in thinking about it, but in my revision process, I, I find that I'm regularly trying to pull out things and get there in as few steps as I can with as many specifically chosen details as possible. So even in, I think, the last um, pass at the, the galleys for um, My Vanishing Twin, you know, I think I cut out 10 pages, 12 pages, just in that very, very last late stage pass, just because as I was reading through, I was like, well, but if you don't have this information telling you that, that accentuates this detail, it makes it more important and it makes it more resonant and impactful. And I think that's kind of like an obsession with me, um, looking at these scenes again and again, and just trying to make them as, um, trying to, to make them as experiential in some ways as possible, or I think of it as activating them um, rather than describing them. And so, yeah, I think that takes different, different forms. I was trying to, um, also trying to, with My Vanishing Twin, I think it's Walter's story and it's Walter's arc. And so I was trying to get us as far into him as we possibly could in terms of understanding the logic of, of some of his decisions. I'm really fascinated by that, just with humanity in general, with um, how, if, how, how by observing people's actions and behaviors and mannerisms, we can actually kind of get insight into who they are that goes deeper than anything they could even tell us, right? And so I remember, and again, I, I, I kind of have an eclectic or odd um source inspiration sources or things that kind of inform this for me but i remember watching the documentary film by errol morris gates of heaven and there were i don't know if you're familiar with it but it, it's a documentary about uh, pet cemeteries basically fam a couple of families that owned and operated these pet cemeteries and there would be these scenes in the movie where they'd be interviewing people and they would be talking for you know five ten minutes telling some story that was tangentially related to the topic at hand um, but they would actually be revealing more about themselves through why they were choosing to say those things or how they were choosing to say them than what the actual content of the thing itself was. And that for me was this moment where I thought, well, that's, that's what dialogue should be in, in books and movies, at least for me. Um, because it, it, it's, yes, it's convenient for delivery of that content of that information, but when we are forced to listen to others in actual conversations, the content is only a piece of it. And so kind of trying to layer it from there, again, sort of becomes this obsession for me. Um, and I think trying to render 
people and their complexity is also an obsession with me as well. Um, so I don't yeah, know. I thought, I, yeah, I think, you know, you, you mentioned how, you know, as you kind of went back through and in the fi- the later reads, you know, and, and I can definitely relate to, to that because that's part of my processes as well. And what I call during, you know, and, and it does kind of come out of an obsession or, you know, an attachment that you get. I know with investment club, you know, as I started, you know, working through it. And then once I had the draft and then I'm, I'm thinking along those, like I said, with the investment and financial stuff, and there's a lot of hand motions in the investment club and it kind of reinforces the theme of, you know, of, of helping, you know, and I wanted to kind of use the hand as a, as a, as a main symbol. So I work that into, there's a lot of hand gestures or, or focus on, you know, things being passed back and forth or obviously chips sliding to the, you know, on the table or just, but all that kind of comes, I think in the later drafts, once like the skeleton is there mm-hmm. and then kind of building on that and, and from everything from the, the word choice and dialogue to the act and other things to support, to support that stuff. But for me, that doesn't come in the first, you know, that kind of comes later in the, yeah. in, in that, what I like to call texturing. Yeah. And you really, I, I think you really hit that nicely in, especially the blackjack scenes where there's a real tension to those scenes in part because of that, right. There's just sort of like, a movement someone will make or a gesture that they'll make or something where you're, you're kind of, uh, are they going to split that hand? Are they not going to split that hand? Are they aware of how it's going to affect the others? Are they not aware of how it's going to affect the others? Are they choosing to, to support them or not? And it creates an interesting kind of um, tension, which is not that dissimilar from sitting down and playing at a, an actual table in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. So with, with this in the structure of, of of twin you know you have three distinct sections right salesman singer and twin and as i was thinking about it i mean i was thinking of of you know are these representing kind of phases of maturity or growth like almost a you know starting out that salesman more that dependent you know to independence to interdependence or or why did you choose those three kind of distinct sections. Yeah. I think that ultimately for me, the, the book is largely about identity. It's largely about um, who, who, how do we come to know who we are? How do we come to understand right. who we are in relationship to others? And I think for Walter, he kind of, he, it, in my opinion, he finds his way there. He finds his way to a point where he says, even, you know, all right, this is the, this is the shit I care about. And this is the stuff that I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to hell or high water. I'm going down with the, you know, damn the torpedoes. This is the direction I'm going. And so I think that for me, there was a, in order to get there, he had to swing from one pole to another, to another with this idea of, okay, this is what I am. And I think that Mm -hmm. he starts out the book thinking of himself as a salesman, which is a job that he sort of, fallen into for practical considerations and that that really hasn't served him all that well um, at that point. And then he kind of pushes in this other direction and says, well, I'm going to be a singer. I'm going to be a musician. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue that. And he ultimately comes to a place where he kind of, I think, 
develops a sense for identifying or finding a way to identify with his relationship with his twin as, as a, his family. And um, so I think he kind of pushes in that direction. So I think that there are those kind of three swings. And, you know, I've heard, it's interesting, I've heard people say that the, the narrative of twin kind of snakes in a way. And at a certain point, you're kind of wondering, how do these pieces come together? And it really, at the end, kind of pulls them together because you realize, oh, it, it really is about this guy. It really is about him kind of coming to a point of understanding. So I think those were the categories for me. I, I remember wrestling with the naming of the third one, where um, I think for a while I was calling it the brother. Um, and mm. for a while I was calling it some something else, but then it, it kind of sunk, stuck for me to, that the twin was maybe the better fit. Um, yeah, I thought it completely, you know, reinforced, you know, like what you're saying, the, the, the progression and the growth of, of the rela- our relationships with, with ourselves. So if, if you had to do a cross country car trip, mm-hmm. which would you take Walter or would you take Wallace? Oh, which man. one would you want to spend that time in the car, <laughs> that much time in the car with? <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, I think I go, uh, I think I go Wallace um, just because of how amusing I think I would find the whole thing. I think he would have this ability to make something happen that was fun and interesting everywhere I went. Um, So I I think I'd go Wallace. What about you? Yeah, uh, boy, you know, it's tough. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, obviously in the beginning, it's like, oh, Wallace, you know, and, and, and that, but I really kind of like where Walter, uh, how Walter comes around. So I think I would probably take, take Walter, um, yeah. you know, as, as, as just as kind of just the change in, and and the growth that, that happens. Yeah. Which, and that's, uh, that's interesting. It's good to hear too. It's interesting. Cause I, I really wrestled at the be- especially in the beginning of the book. Walter starts out at a place where there's a lot about him that's not likable. And I really struggled with mm-hmm. that. I struggled with, is it okay to do that? Is it okay to have a protagonist that we need to connect with over the span of this entire book um, be somebody who's doing some not nice things in the beginning of the book? Um, yeah. But I do think he, um, through the music and through what he decides the music means to him, he, he reaches a point where we see a, a kind of an integrity to how he's going about it and understand that that integrity also probably led him to his kind of unhappy place, but that he's using it to kind of barrel himself out or dig himself out as well. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's good to hear. Um, were, were there one, is there one of the characters in the investment club that you identify with more than the others, or are they all kind of outside of you? Yeah, they're all, they're all out, they're all outside. I mean, there's certain qualities in each of them that, you know, I like, obviously, you know, Max Dole the, the dwarf entrepreneur, you know, he's kind of the life of the party that most people are always, you know, interested in. Um, I, you know, if I, if I had to choose one, you know, I really like, the the crystal the the singer turned stripper and just some of the you know the complexity and the battles that that she had and you know similar you know she just the place where she starts with to where she ends 
you know, yeah. it's, it's just, I, I like, I like to see that, that growth. And, and, and I've struggled at times too, you know, cause I like kind of the darker characters. Um, yeah. and it seems the public is more, has more of an appetite for darker, um, protagonists now, which is, which is, is good to see that, um, you know, they're, they're okay with that to, to go on that journey and, and, and connect with, connect with people and live kind of vicariously through them. Yeah. Are there so, certain... so you, go ahead. So you listed, yeah, you listed the songs in the beginning of the book that Walter plays and just wondering, how did you choose those? How did you come to choose those songs? Yeah. So I listened to music not all the time, but pretty regularly when I write, um, put headphones on and turn it up so that I can't be distracted. Um, and I find that it also just kind of helps me think. Um, and so those were, and I didn't, I don't know, I didn't normally do this, uh, with other books that I've written projects that I've worked on, but with this one in particular, for some reason, I started just accumulating, this playlist, which ultimately wound up being like 80 songs. And for whatever reason, I was going through this cycle where I was just listening to certain songs over and over and over and over again. Um, and then was kind of eventually coming to realize that those songs were connected to what I was doing narratively. And was I was even referencing some of them in that middle section of the book. And so I actually just went through and kind of edited down that list to the ones that I thought were the right kind of balance and mix of those things and was careful to indicate that it was an incomplete list. But um, it's interesting. I also, I wrote a, um, a, a playlist or I guess they call it a book notes column for uh, the large hearted boy website, which is all about literature and music. And as I was kind of digging into and analyzing those songs, it was compelling to me how, how deeply connected some of them really were in different ways, either thematically or in terms mm. of the way that they use humor or the way that they used um, character. Um, so, so yeah, it was just kind of built out of that, out of that process. And so I guess they really did. They were, they inspired the book in a lot of different ways, um, indirect ways, but some more direct were there inspiration wise. I was kind of curious as I was reading investment club, what, were there specific authors or specific books that you were looking at that were kind of inspiring or informing aspects of what you were doing? You know, I read a lot on, on blackjack. I mean, a lot of blackjack, but you know, blackjack theory, blackjack uh -huh. strategy. Um, and during my time there, I was fortunate enough to get, um, make some connections and every year there's a blackjack hall of fame there that the best players in the world come and and most of them have, you know, pseudo names and, you know, are either banned from casinos or, you know, wear disguises or whatever there. And at this, there were everybody from, you know, the MIT team that's been so mm -hmm. popularized to, you know, other just, just amazing players. And, and there's also a trivia question that depending on the number you get, you get invited to a final table that there's some different, different games and, and prizes and stuff. But, you know, one of the questions was, you know, I think out of the 50 players that were there, how many had won a million dollars or lost a million in a year playing blackjack? And the number was 
extremely, extremely high, you know, and, and I mean, in the forties out of, out of the fifties. So, it, you know, I was, and as I started looking around, I said, you know, and, and it was just such a strange collection, everything from the really super math genius to just some really degenerate, uh, some degenerate gamblers. But, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, it was more, what was probably more informed, um, in, in this was just, that theory, that strategy, you read a lot of history on, on Vegas and, and living and living there and just trying to build that in and really capture, you know, the, the history of, of Vegas and also what it is, what it is today. Cause where the book is set downtown, there's definitely, you know, a Renaissance going on. Um, and that concept that's in the book of this investing is very much going on in downtown. Tony Shea um, from Zappos, you know, has invested a lot of money in what's called the downtown project, which is doing a lot of uh, revitalization. And, and that's just kind of caught on what great entrepreneurial spirit. So for this, it was more just really soaking it up, doing a lot of research and, and uh, you know, playing playing a lot of cards, and and you know, learning learning some of those Vegas Vegas lessons the hard way. And so you said you're working on the next book. Are you at a place yet where you're you, you kind of have a sense for what it's about, or or is it under wraps for now? No, it's it's um it's it's pretty much you know done. Just doing the final final edits. It's called. Focus lost. Uh, it's about um, that line between obsession and passion, and when the obsession and when passion becomes obsession. And it's about a famous actor, uh, a nature photographer, and the actor's agent. So it's this triangle, and I'm very much. This one is very much influenced by some works of Milton's Paradise Lost. So I'm really kind of taking that you know, triangle in that garden of Eden and putting that and it's set in LA and kind of telling a modern day, uh, loosely adapted after that paradise lost in that, in that story of the garden of Eden, Eden with these three characters. Um, and, you know, also there's some Lolita that's, that's mixed in, mixed in there and a lot of biblical, uh, reference and, you know, the, the symbolism and, and just kind of building that. And I thought really enjoyed setting that in Los Angeles. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's what the new one is. You working on anything? Yeah. I mean, I'm in the middle of something now kind of figuring out what it's about. And then I've got another one that I, I don't know if it's done yet or it's not done yet. I'm, I'm kind of taking a, a step away from it. That one is, um, it's called the tether and, uh, it's about, a a gangly, awkward 11 year old girl with a overactive imagination. And she kind of winds up being lured into a, a grieving scientist's elaborate experiment um, to try to pit the best of humanity against the worst of humanity in this sort of archetypal experiment to finally force one or the other to win and stop us having to kind of exist in this undulating polarity between those two. And so he activates the young girl's imagination and gives her the ability to posit anything she imagines into reality. And then he unleashes a horrific series, of army of, of creatures who morph into human form and are indiscernible from human beings. 
and who stop at nothing to decimate and tear down. And he fights both sides of that battle, um, supporting both of them all out to try to finally force one or the other to win. So oh, fascinating. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Just the tether creates such a strong, so simple, but also just, again, that connect that connection. You know, um, I think that that creates a good just image right from the start. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I hope so. Like I said, I, I don't know if it's the same with you, but sometimes I just need to walk away and and then come back. And sometimes I think I'm done and then I realize, oh, no, I got a lot more work to do here. Yeah, that's always the 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 hard the hard part is you know to know what when is done done and when is it good to to just put it on put it on the shelf or in the drawer for for a little while yeah yeah exactly well awesome talking to you doug um good luck with uh with um i'm sorry it was focus lost right is the new one yes and uh congrats on the investment club uh, great book. Um, I haven't checked out Outside In, but I've read amazing things about it as well. So definitely everybody listening should check those out. And uh, again, my name is Tom Stern. I am the author of the novels My Vanishing Twin, which was just released a few months ago through River Books and Sutterfeld, You're Not a Hero, which came out about a year or two back from River Books as well. So uh, great talking to you, continued success, and hopefully our paths are going to cross here again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Tom.